Tov. Okay, so today's stuff is Kafchet. We're a little behind. We pick up on Chavzayin Amitpet, um, the mission about a third down from the page. So we had a whole discussion about Pchor, and now we get back to, we're still dealing with animals on Yantiv, um, and we get back to maybe straightforward Muksa questions. If an animal dies on Yantiv, you can't move it because it's a Muksa, it has no use. Um, now, of course, the question is, what about the use of dog food? We'll get to. Um, how they ask Rebitarfan about it. Can we, what about this animal that died? Can we do something with it on Yantav? And Chala, which is, means Chala that was separated from the dough to be given to a Kohen, and it was Truma, and it became Tamei. And therefore, the only thing you can do with, with Truma that is Tamei, Chala has the status of Truma, is you can burn it. Um, and interesting, Rabbi Tarfin went into the study hall and he asked their opinion. The Amrulo, and they said to him, you cannot move it from its place. Quite fascinating in the Mishnah, this idea of going and soliciting the opinion of the anonymous space Medrash, Rabbi Tarfin normally used to him as one of the major authorities. But anyway, that was the conclusion. So we have the halacha that's chala, that becomes tameh, and an animal that dies is muktzah an Let's take a look. Um, Let's say our, our Mishnah, the anonymous Mishnah, is going not like Reb Shimon. That if you can chop up a gourd in front of an animal, now that's not a mukta issue, but that's an issue that the gourd was not edible raw, and you can chop it up and make it sort of edible, and that's not considered to be a tircha, or it's not, not considered to be another problem. Anyway, the gourd is not our concern. The concern is an avela, an animal that died on Shabbos, the context here is, um, is uh, Shabbos, um, but um, you can chop it up and make it into dog food. Rabbi Yehudo Omer, Inois, an avela, Omer of Shabbos, Asura, no, if it wasn't, it hadn't died on Shabbos, it's Asura, if it's not an Arab Shabbos, and maybe you could say when Shabbos began, it was considered, thank you, like you, you, were, you already had planned for it to be some type of a dog food, but if it died on Shabbos, then no, then it is a problem of mukta. When Shabbos began, that was not its intended um, use, particularly also on Shabbos, if you have an animal, when Shabbos begins, you're not even planning on using it for yourself, right? That's the difference between Shabbos and Yantav. Anyway, you see here that Rabbi Shimon says that an animal that dies on Shabbos isn't a problem. Presumably, Kalvachomer, it's not a problem if it died on Yantav, when you could have had the potential of shechting the animal before it died. So the Gemara says, no, I feel the name of Rabbi Shimon, maybe Rabbi Shimon agrees in our Mishnah. Um, Shimon agrees that if a live animal dies, it's forbidden. Now that's like, what? That was exactly the point. The animal died, and it says, the writer says, according to Rabbi Shimon, you can chop it up for dog food. So Rashi says, basing himself later on the Gemara, that, 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 that Rabbi Shimon's position that you can chop it up for, de- for dog food would be a case where the animal was like on its last limbs, you know, on its last legs. That it was a, clearly, it was, it was old and sickly and it was about to die. That's when he, right, well, right. So, and the difference is because, and maybe it's a subtle difference in the language. Armish says, Behema Shemesa. It sounds like it was like a unexpected thing. You had this wonderful, live, healthy animal and it dropped dead. Whereas in the Brita, where Rabbi Shimon says it's not a problem, it, it says, um, like, you know, it starts with seeing it as an Azela, like something that maybe was expected to have become a carcass, expected to die. So anyway, it's funny, because the basic distinction is hidden in the Gemara. But the basic answer is that in our mission it was an unexpected death, and when he allows you to chop up an animal that died into dog food, that's an animal you were expecting to die, that was on its last limbs. Let's keep on going, and we'll see how this develops. So the Gemara says, one minute. 
Hanicha Marbar Amemar Mishmei the Rava. That's good according to Marbar Amemar in the name of Rava. The Amar Moda Hayyeh Rabbi Shimon Valichem Shemesu Shesurim. Rabbi Shimon would agree that if it was a healthy animal that dropped dead, it would be forgiven. That would be Muktza Shapia. That works well. El Marbraid Rav Yosef Mishmei the Rava. But according to Marbraid Rav Yosef in the name of Rava, the Amar Chaluk Hayyeh Rabbi Shimon Afilu Valichem Shemesu Shemutarim. When Rabbi Shimon says you can chop up the animal for dog food, the carcass, he would say even if it had been a healthy animal that dropped dead. Not only if it was an animal that was like on its last limbs. So Michael and Amos. So according to that, the Ritchin allows all cases and says it's not Muktza. How do you explain how the Mishnah um, says that it is Muktza unless the Mishnah is not Rebbe Shimin? So the Gemara says, Targumu, so, well, I don't know why it'd be so terrible to say it's not Rebbe Shimon, but is it possible to still say the Mishnah is Rebbe Shimon? So the Gemara says, Targumu is the Iri Bevehemus Kartship. Yes, maybe the Mishnah is even Rebbe Shimon. And when it's talking about an animal that, dead, that died, that it's Muktza, it's not talking about a normal animal. Maybe Rebbe Shimon would say you can use that for dog food, it's that Muktza. We're talking about an animal that had been sanctified, that was a korban. Um, and in that case, if it, then it is muksa. Then you can't use it as dog food, okay? Because it's it's uh, kachim, and kachim has. So Rashi gives two reasons why you cannot use it for dog food. Now, what, because Rashi says, what about the fact about redeeming it? Why can't you redeem it on money and then chop it up? So Rashi says two explanations. One answer is is that you can't redeem an animal once it's dead. An animal needs to be alive to be redeemed. Okay, there's a debate about that whether once an animal has died. And the other halach is even if you could redeem an animal once it's dead, the principle is ain't put him you can't redeem an animal that had died just in order to use it to feed it to the dogs. That's obviously not respectful for 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 kudshim, that they're being the kedusha is being removed so that this can now be said to the dogs. Um, so therefore, what you would do with it is you'd have to burn it. So maybe the Mishnah, when it says that it's mukta, is talking about a special case of kudshim, and that's why it's mukta. Then of course that you would have to um, well bury it or burn it. Yes. Um, so um, so the Gemara says like this. Rashi said you, you're correct. Actually. It would be it would be buried in this case uh, because it would be it wouldn't be psula it, w- it wouldn't be uh, psula bakodesh it become invalid even before you know before it sort of got in the context of the mikdash so it would be buried so the gemara says like this so that would be a special case so the gemara says dikanami um, that actually can be inferred from the language of the mishnah dikanami aleha and also the case of chala that became tummy that you would not be that it was muktza. My Chalot, so the same way, what's the story by Chalot? The Kedisha, it's sanctified. Abena the Kedisha, so presumably we're talking about two related cases. So the animal also that died is an animal that, be, that was sanctified, and that's why it's Muktza. So the Mishnah could be Rebbe Shimon, and even the dead animal is Muktza because it's a case of Kadshim. So the Gemara says, Elas Haimah the Kedisha. So you're telling me the reason that the animal's a problem is because it's sanctified. Hadachul in Sharia. So if it was not sanctified, it would be permissible. So now we're going to sort of ask the same question in reverse. So according to the one that says Rebbe would allow even a healthy animal that dropped dead, so, and say that it's not Muktza, that makes sense. Then now you're telling me the only case in the mission that it's a problem is a sanctified animal. Shapir, that works. Elamar bar Neymar, Mishmei the Ravas, Amar Moda, Rebbe Shimon, Valichem, Shemesu Shasurim. But according to the approach that Rebbe Shimon would say that if it was a healthy animal that dropped dead, it would be forbidden. So, why would the Mishnah only be talking about Kachim? The Rebbe Shimon should disallow even a normal healthy animal that dropped dead. So, Michael and Neymar, Sigmar says, Fine. So, if you want to say it's Kachim, 
right? I can tell you it still works according to the one that says Rabbi, Mim, Rabbi Shimon would disallow a healthy animal that dropped dead. So why, therefore, is the Mishnah limited to a case of Kachim? Because the Mishnah would be talking about a not healthy animal, an animal that's endangered, that's about to, you know, that's sickly and that's about to drop dead. And therefore, the only reason in that case Rabbi Shimon would say it's a problem is if it was a case of Kachim. Okay, so that was quite, uh, you know, complicated, yeah, really, just to try to discuss whether the Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon or not. But basically, it boils down to the fact that the Mishnah says an animal that drops dead is muktza. Is that Rebbe Shimon or not? We know Rebbe Shimon in general says that you can chop up an animal, an Avela, um, an animal that became an Avela on Shabbos. It's not Muktzah. So is this Rebbe Shimon? So one simple answer is, it isn't Rebbe Shimon. Okay, but if you wanted to say it's Rebbe Shimon, how would you make it work? So one possibility is a distinction between a healthy animal and a sickly animal. And the Mishnah that says it's Muktzah is healthy and Rebbe Shimon that says that it's not Muktzah when you were expecting it to die, it was sickly. Another explanation is, is that they're both cases of healthy animals and the would even allow a normal healthy animal that drops dead. But our Mishnah is a special case of Kudshim. And because it's Kudshim, that's why it remains a problem even after it dropped dead. Even though a normal healthy animal that dropped dead, Rebbe Shimon would say, is not a problem. If you want to insist that the Mishnah is Kudshim and say that Rebbe Shimon would nevertheless um, normally allow a case, uh, uh, not allow a case of a healthy animal, why would the Mishnah be talking only about Kudshim? So that's the last answer of the Gemara. If it was Kudshim, even if it was sickly, and a sickly case, Rabbi Shimon would normally allow, but if it was Kudshim and sickly, it wouldn't allow. So basically, Rabbi Shimon wouldn't allow certainly a case of Kudshim, because then there's no use for it once it's dead. And the debate is, would he allow a case of a healthy animal that dropped dead when you weren't expecting it to die? When Rabbi Shimon says that there's not a muktzah problem by an animal that dropped dead, would it even be a case of a healthy animal? And that's what is debated. Yes? So that's a good question. So interestingly... Tosvos, right? So that was like, admittedly, not so interesting. Meaning, you know, could the mission be Rabbi Shimon? I mean, what it basically does is it points out that Rabbi Shimon might distinguish between a healthy animal and a sickly animal. But even the case of a kudshim is quite obvious. If the halacha is, you can't do anything with it. You know, you can't redeem it. You have to bury it. Then it's a pretty self-evident case that the kudshim case would be a problem. The real, more interesting case, which the Gemara completely ignored, which Michael is mentioning, which Tosvos focuses on, is Bechala. Because what do you do with Tamechala? You burn it. But if you burn it, the halacha is you're allowed to get benefit from it when you burn it. So why is challah considered muqta? Why don't you burn it and use it as, uh, you know, to, uh, to cook your food over? Why don't you use it for your fire? So Tosus has a long discussion about that, and his basic answer is, I mean, he has more than one answer, but I'll give you the simplest answer is, he compares it to the case of not bringing shlumim on, um, on yuntiv, right? Even though you're going to eat from the food. Because there, if you remember, the Gemara said, why don't you bring shlumim if they're not obligated to be brought today? Because fundamentally, they're brought as a korban, and only secondarily do you eat from it. So the fundamental act of slaughtering it and burning it is an act of, well, slaughtering it, let's say, is an act of bringing it as a korban, not an act of ochel nefesh. So Tosa says the same thing would be true here. Fundamentally, the act of burning it would be doing the mitzvah of burning, you know, truma that became tameh or challah that became tameh. And the halacha only is that incidentally, in the process of destroying the truma and the challah, you're allowed to benefit from it. But that's only a secondary and incidental thing that's allowed, and the fundamental act is not done with tzarech ochel nefesh. So that's Tosa's answer. By the way, I was wondering... It's a much more interesting question than what the Gemara is focused on. I would wonder why you could chop up the Nevela in the first place, the dog food, not all of them, that's why the Sinkos Yontos. 
No, I mean, what, but you're not doing the malacha. You're right. You, the question is, lachem below lechlavim, or the below lechlavim was debated. Lechlavim was debated, but it's not. It's not. A, it's, all, all it is is kircha. It's not a malacha. So the Chazal allowed a lot of kircha cases for the for for, for 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 your animals. Not every case, but a lot. Okay. So now let's look at the next Mishnah. Um, now the next couple of Mishnahs get into in interesting cases of what they did allow for eating and even getting close to certain types of transactionary actions like getting to the store and getting some food if you didn't prepare enough food for Yantiv without actually technically engaging in buying and selling but things that are close to that that they gave you latitude for for the sake of Yantiv. So let's take a look. Um, so you cannot count, uh, appoint yourself on an animal like a, you know uh, go into an animal like a uh, you know sort of uh, um, count you know get on a list of who's going to eat the animal at the outset on Yontav but you can um, you can sort of all join together for it before Yontav and you can shecht it and divide among them so what exactly is going on here so let's see what the Gemara says my enimim what does this mean you can't like all count together for an animal on Yontav you cannot basically say, okay, we've got an animal here, we're going to divide it amongst ourselves. You know, everybody has to chip in, like, uh, you know, it costs $1,000. So how much are you going to chip in? Michael, you're going to pay 50 you get a 20th of the animal. Somebody else is going to pay $100, Bill, we'll give them a tenth of the animal. You can't do that on Yantev. That's talking about money and dividing something according to how much people are paying. Even if no money changes hands, that's a type of, you know, that's a type of comma on Yantiv. That much we won't allow to explicitly discuss the money issue. So, hey, Chiyavit, so what can you do? So, So, let's say, before we get to dividing the animal, let's say you want to go to the uh, butcher, who actually, or whatever, the guy who has the, uh, you know, and uh, you want to get some uh, meat on Yantiv, but you can't talk about how much money you're going to pay him afterwards. Right? So you, but, you, but obviously you'll pay him after the but you can't explicitly talk about how much money. So what he's going to do is he'll take two animals and he'll say, look, here's these two animals, right? They look about exactly the same, about exactly the same health and weight and size. You take this one, and after Yontiv, we'll talk about it. And then what you do after Yontiv is you take the one that's still alive and you figure out how much that one is worth because we all agree that these two are roughly equivalent. Okay, so that, number one, allows you to get the animal from the person selling the animals or if it's chopped up meat already. Look, these two steaks look roughly equal, right? You take this steak and after Yontiv, we'll talk about it and then you figure out how much the remainder steak would have cost. So that's how you get basically the ownership of it. You're allowed to take possession of it as long as you don't talk about money. Okay, so that's what you can do on Yontem. So um, was basically a guy with animals in his backyard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now that's in terms of getting the animal. How about in terms of dividing it amongst the group? So let's take a look at the next stage. Tanya and Amihachi, we talk similarly. Don't say to your friend, look. Um, I'll chip in a dollar, uh, you know, ten dollars for that animal. You know, we all, we all went, somebody went to the butcher, got this big animal, now we have to divide it. Who's going to eat a thousand pounds of meat? So say, okay, I'll give twenty dollars, I'll give thirty. You can't say that on Yantav. So what are you going to say? I'll take a quarter of the animal. I'll take a tenth of the animal. And then after Yantav, you go back. So you're not talking about money, right? You're talking about what proportion, 
right, what percentage of the meat you're going to have. And then after Yantim, you'll figure out how much money does that translate into. So they allowed you a lot of latitude and even allowed you to take possession of it. And there's obviously understood that it's going to be paid for as long as you don't talk about money. So that's quite shocking. I think most people are not aware about how much latitude Chazal gave you, and we're going to continue to see this, about taking possession and basically purchasing things as long as you don't explicitly purchase them. But once you realize that the Torah allows you to shecht and to cook and to do all these things of Melechus Ochel Nefesh, you know, this is part of Ochel Nefesh, is getting possession of the actual um, food. I even pointed out when we discussed about the whole latitude of carrying, right, why is it that carrying of all things is permissible, and why is it that that's sort of defined as, oh, that's related to Ochel Nefesh. How is caring related to Ochel Nefesh? And we tend to forget that the first part about preparing your food is going to the store and getting the food. And that's why the whole, that is like, you know, a central aspect. The commerce, conveyance, that's what caring is all about. It's conveyance of goods, you know, shipping, essentially. So that's why this is actually something that Chazal gave a lot of latitude to. Yes? One is that you know, whatever, if it's a problem talking about money, then you know, how do you do all these appeals and whatever? Right, that's basically Chasei Shemaim, and you're actually, yeah, correct, and you're not actually engaging in a transaction there. You're sort of talking about how much you'll give in the future. You're not getting something for it. Okay. And the other uh, issue is that there was a tension between, like, something that looks like an Udu which yes. it certainly does. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they couldn't even say, you can't do that. It's too close to being Yeah, I know. That's a very funny. Uvdu the Chol, there's something, to, and we'll actually get to Uvdu the Chol in a minute, but the fact about what things are forbidden in Uvdu the Chol, and it was very troubling, right, when we looked, saw two days ago, the whole person about the blind person and the sick, and that's Uvdu the Chol, and this is allowed. But again, this is explicitly in the context of food for Simchus Yantem, but even there, the way the Gemara got onto the blind person was when you shack the animal in the field and then bringing it in in these poles, so even when we're allowing certain things for food, we want to be sensitive that it doesn't turn it into a market day. Okay, so you're right. But, you know, this presumably creates enough of a shino. You're right, it's treading a very thin line. Let's take a look now, top of Kafchad Amad Aleph, and look at the next mission, which continues this theme. That Yudah Omer, Shogolot and Buster Kinegat HaKriyo, Kinegat HaKupi, that basically you're going again to the butcher, and you're going to pay him up after Yantiv. Nobody is talking about money, but you want to know how much meat you're going to get, you're getting from him. So besides the case of one animal, standing animals next to each other, he takes a steak, and he puts it on the scale. Now, he's not allowed to put a counterbalance, the formal weight on the scale opposite it because that would really be like you know transactionary and commercial so what he could do though is he could put a hammer on it or he could put you know on the another thing to create a balance I'll give you a hammer's weight of uh, steak <laughs> or some type of other vessel and then after Yantiv you'll weigh the vessel that it was weighed against Okay, but because it's not being weighed exactly 2.3 pounds, it's not as much as seen as a commercial transaction. Even if you know how much your hammer weighs exactly? Yeah, I mean, if you've been using your hammer as your standard 2-pound weight, presumably not. No, you cannot look at the scale at all. That, what, you can't use the scale, even in this chinoy way, you know, even without exactly knowing the, right now the precise amount. Using the scale is much too much commercial. Okay. Um, my co Eco, what does it mean? Not at all. They're so not, meaning not only can you not use it in an indirect way to weigh it, but let's say, you know, your scales are hung from the ceiling, you know, and very high up, and you have a dog that's, you know, you're afraid is going to be eating the meat. You can't put it on the scales as like as a way of putting it like on a high shelf. 
yourself. You're not even interested in weighing it. Nope, even that you're not allowed. Any use of it is like a kli shemlachto or worse, you know, it's like a kli umnis, and it's completely off limits. I'm going to have, you know, kli shemlachto wouldn't be a problem here. But anyway, it's completely off limits. It's completely uh, using it in, you know, something that's set aside for commerce and transaction and forbidden. When that's a problem, it's only when it's hung from, Rashi says, this is like the standard peg, you know, we're talking about like a balance scale, um, the standard like a, a, um, ring that you would hang it from when you would use it in its function as a balance scale. But if it's being like off of that ring and it's not in that context of that type of a function, then you could use it, again, not to weigh, but you could use it for some other purpose, like to keep it away from the dogs. Yes. But it's, so this weighing is because it's commercial, but it doesn't mean like, you know, you're homeschooling, like how much you weigh is not going to be Um, maybe. That's true. I mean, that's, there are other problems about like Medida and Shabbos and whatever and other types of things. But right, this particular problem here, where it's Completely usher, you know, is because of the commercial context. The Amar of Yunamar Shmuel, Tabach Uman Asulishko Basar Biyad. If you have an expert butcher, you can't even weigh it in the hand. You know, some people are so good, you know, they've been doing it so long, they can just hold it like this and say, yeah, 2.3 pounds. Like, you know, Rashi says that you're holding two things opposite one another. You know, you're having one thing in one hand that's like, you know, fixed amount of weight or something that you know how much and you're weighing the other thing and you say, yeah, these are weighing the same. But some people, I think, even just with one hand can just have a really good accurate sense of how much it weighs. So that you can't do even though you're not using the kli. This is all following the chachamim against Reb Yehuda. So a shinoi doesn't matter. You can't do any real weighing. And if you know exactly how much it is, even without using a scale, then that's a problem. Now that's even more obvious, because Rashi says the water is water displacement. That you put it in water, and the water gets displaced, and therefore you know exactly how much the volume is. Okay, so that to me is like more of a clear act of measuring, although normally you sell by weight, not by volume, than it is the case of using your just your, your hand. What you cannot do now is basically you, you can't make a handle in the meat. So now they put, put stuff in a bag and you carry it home in the bag. But presumably, if you bought, I don't know, a big side of beef, imagine you bought a side of beef. What I'll do for you is I'll cut out in the beef a hole in the side of the beef and you'll put your hand through the hole and you'll carry the side of beef home like through that hand, through that handle. That you can't do, which is interesting because that's not about the commercial aspect. That's just about giving you an easy way of conveyance. But again, maybe by doing that, it makes it clear like that you, you know, it just makes it clear like you've gone to a store. That's, a, you know, like if the store wraps it all up and puts, you know, makes it very, you know, it's clear like you, it, 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 when you're walking at home, it makes it, it, it's demonstrable that you brought, bought it from a store. Um, so, Amar Ravina Ubiyada Shari, but if you just want to make a hole through the side of the beef with your hand, not with a clean, and not in like a fancy professional way, that's allowed. People will see it, and it doesn't look so professional. It looks something like you've done yourself as a way of carrying it, presumably. Amar Ravuna Mutalaso Siman Bibasar. What you can do is also you can cut the meat in a particular way that it's clear that it's yours. It doesn't get confused with whose it is. And this also gets into concerns about meat that's left unattended, and, you know, meat that gets changed for other meat and whole discussions in the Gemara. Um, like so kiha, right, and it's not like writing or like making something. He basically cut it out the three corners. He made a triangle in his side of beef 
and Rashi says he sent it home, and they would see that it was in, in triangle shape, and they'd know that it came from him. Triangle shape. There you go. So this is going right, right after, right at the transition period between the Tanaim and the Amorayim. They would weigh an, a mana against a mana on Yantav, meaning that when they would be dividing meat between them, they'd have a side of beef that they purchased together. So they would basically, you know, divide it and weigh. Okay, here, you know, they, they, they wouldn't weigh it against some third thing that they knew its weight, but they'd put, you know, they'd put a side of beef on one side of the scale, and then they'd weigh the other side of the scale an equal amount, and then they'd say, you take half and I take half. So they didn't really know objectively how much it weighed, but they knew that each half weighed the same amount, and that, that they would do on Yantav. So that's certainly not a mashkik in the kafmas nine ko ikar. So let's take a look. Um... So the Gemara says like this: Kiman lok Reb Yehuda, who's the strong nut? Not like Reb Yehuda, but lok Rabbanan, not the Rabbanan. I Reb Yehuda, Amar Shokolat and Basar Kineged Klio Kineged Akupit. Okay, you can use a vessel or you can use a hammer. Kineged Hakukli in Kineged Midiachwini Lo. So they think that even Reb Yehuda won't allow this case because Reb Yehuda only allows you to put like a hammer on the other side of the scale, but to actually put something that's more normal to be on the scale, like meat. And to put meat on both sides of the scale, presumably that he wouldn't. Okay, even Rabbi Huda wouldn't allow that, which is surprising. You might think that it's, you're not putting an objective weight, but even he, the Gemara assumes even he wouldn't allow it because Rashi says this is Zerachachokim. This is a normal way on a weekday that people would divide equally if they own something in partnership. You would divide it equally by putting equal things on opposite sides of the scale. There's no Shinoi, Rashi says here. Right? It's a, this is the basic way in which you would equally divide something that you owned in partnership. Is you'd weigh them on equal sides of the scale. So even Red Yehuda shouldn't allow it. Isn't the cleaver? Yeah, the cleaver, yeah. Um, uh, okay. So even Red Yehuda shouldn't allow it. And if the rabbis, they don't let you use the scale for any purpose. So how could they do this? So Inu David Reb Yeshua, they do like Reb Yeshua. Just I'm done. Bryce Reb Yeshua Omer, Shofim Mana Kenegid Mana Biyom Tov. You can divide, you can divide up something that you own equally, you know, and each person to get an equal portion, and you can do that on Yom presumably even using a scale. Amar Reb Yosef, Halacha Reb Yeshua. We rule like Reb Yeshua. Hov it's not the Bechoros Kivase. Since we rule in Bechoros like him, we're not getting out of Bechoros. Nah, we talk in the Mishnah Bechoros. Suleim Mekdashim Hanasim Lehekdash. Seen invalid sacrifices, the benefit goes to Hektish, and you can weigh a mana against a mana by a Bechor. What does that mean? So, I mentioned this yesterday, I mentioned it again today. The Bechor is unique, actually, Meister is like this, in that um, you do not intrinsic, you do not verbally instill the sanctity. Its sanctity comes from the fact that it was born as the first animal. Meister from the fact that it was a tenth animal that walked out when you were counting the animal. And therefore, when it gets a blemish, you cannot redeem its value. You cannot transfer its Kedusha because its Kedusha is the, you know, wasn't instilled. It can't be removed. But the, so that's on the one hand. You cannot be poded. On the other hand, because it still has Kedusha and it can't be removed, the ironic halacha is that you can eat it with its blemish even without removing the Kedusha and even without bringing it, you know, as a korban. As a blemish, it can't be brought as a korban. So what you do is, you eat it with the blemish without redeeming it. That's the halacha of Bechor. A normal animal that gets sanctified when it gets a blemish can't be brought as a korban, but what you do is the same way you instill the sanctity, you can remove the sanctity and you redeem it. Now, that's halacha number one, and then you're allowed to eat it. But before you eat, even without redeeming. Now, what's the associated, the corollary is the following halacha. 
what do you do once you have redeemed let's start with the korban redeemed it it had a blemish and you redeemed it it doesn't become total hulin for example you know you, 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 there are certain restrictions about what you're allowed to do with it like shearing it and working it and so on so there's some residual kidusha. are you allowed to take this animal that was redeemed and once was korban and now with some residual kedusha and sell it in the marketplace and sell it like just plain old meat hang it up hang the flanks up in the marketplace weigh it and so on so the luck is that might be seen disrespectful but the luck is you are allowed and you know why you are allowed because if, you're, if we let you sell it in the marketplace you'll get the best price for it everybody is going there if we allow you to weigh it and do all those types of things you'll get the best you'll be able to retail it and chop it up into pieces and get the best price and if you're going to get the best price for it that's going to have an impact on when you have to figure out how much is it worth when I redeem it well, how much is it worth now I'm going to redeem this value in something else? It's going to be how much money am I going to get for it when I sell it? So if we give you more latitude to sell it in a way that can get more, you know, more for it, then that's going to mean the hectic is going to benefit because now you're going to redeem it. You're going to assess its value as worth more. So a normal kachim which gets redeemed in order that that value should be the highest possible that you're redeeming it onto and going to use the proceeds for another korban, once it is redeemed, we allow you to sell it in the marketplace and to sell it like you would normally sell meat and to weigh it and so on. By a bechor, it's not being redeemed. So since the bechor is not being redeemed, if you want to sell your bechor with a mum, we're going to put more restrictions on you in order to be sensitive to the kedusha of the bechor. It's also that it has its full kedusha, right? It hasn't even had its kedusha removed. And therefore, a bechor, you're not allowed to sell in the shuk and in the marketplace, and you're not allowed to sell by weighing it, and you can only sort of, you can sort of wholesale it, but you can't retail it. That would not be respectful towards to the bechor. So that's what this Mishnah says. Let's read it. It says, Psuei muktashim hanasam lehektish. Normal invalid sacrifices, the benefit goes hektish, so we let you sell it in the marketplace and to weigh it. Okay? You redeemed it verbally already? Yes. After you've redeemed it, you can sell it in the marketplace and so on. You have to take that money and then actually... Exactly. Really, is the, the redemption has been oral, has been verbal gilu'idas. Right. Right? And then you take the money and you have to... It's, it. a it's, an, it's a verbal act. Verbal act. Correct. Okay. The, that's by normal korbanot. And that's why you have restrictions on how you're going to sell it. But before, which you, the, the, the hectic doesn't benefit, you have limits about selling it in the marketplace. But even with those limits, shokli money what you are allowed to do, what we will let you do, is weigh equal weights by a bechor. That's not considered so much like, you know, like a bizayon and the normal way of selling things with the normal sense of like 2.3 pounds. You're just weighing things as having equal weights. So basically what you see here is, is that, um, is that, and this is Rebbe Yoshua, uh, and this is the Mishnah that goes like Rebbe Yoshua. So that's about, that's of Yosef's claim. That here, if we consider mana kineged mana not to be a form of commerce and transaction by a bechor, it won't be a form of commerce and transaction on Yantiv, and we'll let you do the same on Yantiv. That's just Yosef's claim. Amalei Abayi, so Abayi said back, with Yomaloi, maybe it's not a comparison. Adkan lo kamer Rebbe Yoshua hacha, when Rebbe Yoshua allows you to weigh equal, you know, mana kineged mana, make, you know, use the scale to make equal weights. That's because the only concern is whether it's appropriate on Yantiv or not. How much is it commerce? But what he does, he's not dealing with the sense of proper treating or improper treating of sanctified objects. There, maybe it's a more sensitive area. You have a Bechor that's sanctified. Lo, that would be, this, that, it would be problematic. Maybe that would demand even less, you know, e- even more restrictions. 
Inami or say the opposite. The rabbis there that allow you to do mana connected mana by before That's because it's a question of are we dis, you know disrespecting the sacrifices? Is it is it you know? And therefore they say it's not so disrespectful. But the concern there it's not a yuntiv concern. It's not a concern that it looks like weekday activity. Here where it's weekday activity low. It's not about meaning that the Jews have a concern. One is a concern. One of the criteria the concern is is this weekday activity. The other is a concern is is it disrespectful? And maybe the conclusions are different for different uh, for, based on the different category. Okay. So the says Lamaimra now that's so that's the end. We don't know how we pass in terms of monarch and egged mana. Now the Gemara ends up by the following thing. Lamemra, now this joy was was Rebchia and Reb Shimon the son of Rebbe. So that they divided equally. So the Gemara says, Lemeim at the Kapti Adadi. Wait, this story seems to say that those two, Rebbe Chi and Rebbe Shimba Rebbe, were, very, were mocked on one another. Meaning that if they divided something, they wanted to make sure that everybody got exactly what was coming to them. But we know that they were so friendly, they didn't care about that type of stuff. The Hanu Shev Benisa, there was a case of seven fish. The Asu Rebbe came to the house of Rebbe. Vishtaka Chamesh Minayu Bey Rebbe Chia. And somehow, they, five of them wound up in the house of Rebbe Chia. <laughs> so somehow Rebbe Chia helped himself to five of the seven fish. The little copy of Shem Rebbe. And Rebbe Shem, the son of Rebbe, wasn't obsessed. Like, yeah, we're so friendly. What's mine is yours. You find some food in my house. You want to take it to yours. You don't even have to ask. Go ahead. So if that's true, why were they so mocked to divide their, you know, side of beef? exactly equally so Amara Papa Shadi Gavra Benayu fine so you have to change the story you have to assume that there was some different person in the story I Rebbe Chi of Rebbe Shmael either keep Rebbe Chi as the same but the other person was not Rebbe Shimon Rebbe's son but it was Rebbe Shmael Rebbe Yossi I Rebbe Shimon Rebbe or if one of the people was Rebbe Shimon Rebbe then the other person was Bar Kapara so presumably these are people we know that would get into business deals or were friends or might buy a side of beef together but we also know that they do not be that everybody got exactly what was coming to them okay so anyway the Gemara does not exactly conclude what is the case of Monik and Egedmane but what it does reveal in comparing it to the case of the Bechor is this issue about different concerns a concern of Bizayim Katsim which therefore using weights and measures or whatever can lead to Bizayim Katsim you're treating it just like a side of beef but that's because how you're treating the object the other is the question of Uvda Dechol we don't care how the meat is being treated we care about what it evokes in terms of a general type of commercial weekday activity yes yeah, because of the co- that's right. Is the owner correct? You give your bechor to the kohen. He can't eat it until it gets a mum, unless there's a base mikdash, right? And then once it gets a mum, it's his property. But other people are allowed to eat it, so he can sell it to other people as well. That's my yes, but but yes, that, that, that's the point they were saying. But they're not getting the proceeds from the sale. First, you transfer the kedusha, and then you go and you take the meat that's now left, and you sell that in the marketplace. But the amount you assess, how much I'm going to assess its value, is based on what in the future I anticipate in terms of its sale. Right. right. So the sanctuary might. Be willing to give uh, more leniency because their, their that, interest, yes. whereas the individual Cohen is not so important. So um, yes, but yes, that's exactly what it says. The, the difference of Hanas and Lahakesh, exactly that. Yes, correct. Yeah, or you sell the ear of the mother. Yes, but we're not going to worry about that. We'll do it when we give a Ain't much be the next case. 
Um, going on to things you can do for food we're uh, re- leaving the commerce area and now we're talking about not the actual preparation of the food but what's called preparing the things that, will, that are necessary to en- enable you to prepare the food okay? so you cannot um, sharpen your knives on Yantiv you can do one on top of the other you know you see on those chef shows that they do the two knives and they sharpen them by, by going them on one on top of the other that you're allowed to do that's a shinoi now, what's the problem here? So, it might be uvdeh dechol. If you look at Rashi, five lines from the bottom, the last Rashi on the Mishnah, the Mishani Midarechol. So, that sounds like, he doesn't say Tashinua, he says Mishani Midarechol, sounds like the problem is uvdeh dechol. Again, it's too commercial of an activity to be like sharpening the knife on the stone. I have to tell you about this. You know, the question about what constitutes uvdeh dechol is very hard to quantify. But I want to just make a po- an, an, an interesting and ironic point, which is, so you can you basically have a fire on Yantiv, you can cook on Yantiv, you can transfer fire, but you know what you're not allowed to do? I mean, you ask any of the, you look at any of these handbooks, or you ask anybody in terms of what, you know, what, you know, what their understanding is, you can't use electricity, right? So that I should be able to use my microwave on Yantiv, um, or use my electric blender, or use my electric coffee machine, right? I mean, if I had to push a button, that not. Why not? I mean, if I can do fire on Yantiv, and I can do cooking, and I do these malachas, why can't I do electricity that's related to preparing food, right? So, it's, so if you look at some of these books that try to explain it, they do these somersaults trying to justify why electricity is somehow an issue that isn't mutter because of Tzorachol Chol Nefesh. But you know what the bottom line boils down to? Well, it boils down to Uvda Duchol, which is, is that when you start using electricity, it evokes a very different type of a, you know, sort of world and experience, you know, than when you're dealing with mechanical objects. And I really think that the assumption that you don't do electricity even on Yunt even in the use of food preparation is ultimately rooted in these type of concerns because in terms of like a malacha or an isidra concern it's hard to justify because that, because that we, is allowed with <coughs> so I think I, I say that because you know it's hard to understand what is all this you know, you have, but the point is yeah but within giving you the latitude of give, allowing you to do malachas and allowing you to do certain drabanans we don't want to turn it into a weekday experience we don't want to turn yantav into the weekday so certain types of activities do evoke much more that sense of it being like a weekday. So that's here this issue about that Rashi says about the sharpening of knives. You know, sharpening of knives on their whetstone would be too weekday, you know, too much of a weekday activity. Doing it like this informal way, not so. But we will see in the Gemara it might be more than over the call. It might be an issue of tikkun mana, of making a vessel, of like, you know, of if it was not usable, if it was not usable, depending on how dull it had become, or is it Rashi in another place where she says it's like it looks like making a vessel and then it becomes well then what's the big deal like why can't you do malachas for the sake of ochal nefesh so we will take a look but there's different ways of understanding what the problem here is so let's keep on going so it says like this Amr Rafuna says Rafuna Lo shanu shel evan. The problem is only a, a, a wet stone. Avav b'maschezet shel eis. If you're using a sharpening uh, thing that's made out of wood, mutter, then that's not the normal way and that's permissible. Amr Rav Yehuda Shmuel Hadamarter shel evan aser lo amen elu lechadida. When you say you can't use the stone, even the pro- prohibition of using the stone, that's only if the purpose is to sharpen it. Avalahav shamnuni is mutter, but to just get the the shmutz off of it, you know, that would be permissible. What? All right, they weren't worried. So anyway, so that's the most lenient. It's only forbidden with a stone and only when you
when you're doing it intentionally and you sharpen it. Michlas, as Gemara then implies, that if you're using wood, you can do it even intentionally to sharpen it. That's the most lenient piece. But some read this discussion on the end and a more strict read. B'shel eitz mutter, it's permissible with wood. Amrav Yudah Meshmul, hadamar to b'shel eitz mutter, when we say it's permissible with, if, it's, if, if it's against wood, that's only if you're doing it to remove the shmutz. To sharpen it, asr is forbidden. So that says not that you only two th- uh, you need two criteria to be forbidden stone and sharpen it's either criteria makes it forbidden either stone or even with wood if it's intentionally being done for sharpening so it says Marzev Michal de Bishel Evan with its stone a few have Sham Nunisa also even to just get rid of the Shmos is forbidden some have this discussion about whether it's to sharpen or to remove the Shmos not on the stone wood distinction but on the Mishnah. You don't sharpen it on a whetstone. That's only to sharpen. But if it's removed the shmutz, mutter, even on its standard whetstone. Wow, and that wouldn't, so then you need two criteria to be forbidden the whetstone and the sharpening. So when it allows the issue about one against, you know, about one knife against the other, the end of the Mishnah, even to sharpen it's permissible, only when both those things are combined is it forbidden. And some say this distinction was put at the end of the Mishnah in a strict to read. You can run it against the, it's one knife against the other. When can you rub it against the other only to remove the Shmutz? So you need two criteria to make it Mutter. Right? And, it's, and therefore it'll be Usr if it has any one problem. Either sharpening or it's against its, uh, the whetstone. Against the normal whetstone even to remove the Shmutz is forbidden. Okay. Who's now? So that's fine. That's the various criteria. But what is exactly the problem? I've mentioned to you Rashi that says But now we're going to look at the Gemara that says uh, that brings it into a different discussion. Let's take a look. Who's the author of the Mishnah that says that, that you, against the whetstone is forbidden? Not like Reb Yehuda. So that's the mission we know in Megillah. There's no difference between Yantav and Shabbos except things that are allowed for Ochel Nefesh. And the Brisa adds, Reb Yehuda matir asmach shirei ochel nefesh. Reb Yehuda allows even things that are done to prepare those things that you'll use in the food preparation. So basically to, pre- to, to make the knife and to prepare the knife and sharpen the knife, for him even that is allowed. So now the Gemara sounds like we're no longer talking about uvda dechol. Right? If it was an uvda dechol, what does that have to do with this debate? Okay? It sounds like what we're talking about is that you're really doing a real malacha in sharpening the knife or something that maybe is a Jerabonan Malacha, maybe Rashi says it looks like Metake and Kli, or it's really Metake and Kli, and do we allow Malachas that are done not in the act of the food preparation itself, but in preparing things that will be used for the food preparation, and that is a Machlokas, maybe you the Chachamim. So, Amalei Rav Rav Chizah, so Rav said to Rav Chizah, Dashina Mishimcha Halach to Rav Yehuda, so he said, should we now say, since Rav Chizah pointed out the mission wasn't Rav Yehuda, Rav was inferring from that that maybe that indicated that Rav Chizah goes like Rav Yehuda and wants to point out the mission is not the Hakol. So Rav said to Rav Chizah, should we, should we now like, announce in your name that the Halach is like Rav Yehuda, you can do Machshire Ochel Nefesh and Yantif? So he said back to Rabbah, May it be God's will that all wonderful things 
was like this, you should say on my name. Like, great! I love Rabbi Yehuda, and you should, yes, and you should publicize it that I possibly like Rabbi Yehuda. It's a great position. It's a big difference, right? What is the extent of what you're allowed to do for, for, for food purposes? I was standing in front of Rava. Now remember, Rava was the one that just asked Rav Chizda, and Rav Chizda told him we go like Rav Yehuda. So we go like Rav Yehuda, presumably you're allowed to sharpen knives on Yantav. So he said, I was standing by Rava, and he was sharpening his knife by the, by the lip of a, of a, like a basket. Okay? Now, not on a whetstone, so you might say that that works even according to the Mishnah. Anyway, the Amri lay, and I said to him, are you doing it to sharpen it? Maybe it assumes like the more machmir position that to sharpen it is a problem regardless. Okay? Oh, maybe you're doing it to remove the shmutz, which is allowed. The Amr Lee, so clearly that assumes that even on a basket it would only be allowed to remove the shmutz, like the more machmir way we read before. The Amr Lee and Rava said to me, I'm just trying to remove the shmutz. That's what he said. But I saw that his real intent, I could infer from what he was doing, the Lechadah Kavid. He really was shocking it. It's sort of like the whole story with Shammai and Hillel, and he didn't want to admit why he was bringing the animal to the base on Mikdash, right? So he really passed in Lakula, like Rabbi Yehuda, that you could do it even to sharpen it, okay? But he didn't want, but, but he was faking it. He didn't want to admit to me that that's why he was doing it. Now, why? The Kasava, because he holds, Halacha Zain Marin Kain, that we rule like Rabbi Yehuda, the Halacha of in theory is like Rabbi Yehuda that you can do things with Tzorah Hochel Nefesh but you don't go ahead and say that publicly you don't paskin it publicly now why do you not paskin it publicly so this is, raises fascinating issues the whole principle of Halacha Bein Morinkain you know about sort of um 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 um, being um, like sort of a paternalistic approach that comes through psaq, but also the responsibility that comes through psaq. You know, you tell people just straight what the halacha is, even if you know that they're going to wind up abusing it. You know, or do you think that part of your responsibility as a rabbi is that people want to be doing the right thing? So if that means sometimes not always giving them all of the facts. You know, then uh, you know you see that in these like in these like handbooks that they put out. You know, where they have like a strict halacha up on top, and then they have the footnote in Hebrew, and it tells you like all the various leniencies. But it's like it sort of is afraid that if people can't read the Hebrew, like it doesn't know if you can trust you know the common person with all those leniencies because they'll abuse them. But you think if you can read and understand the Hebrew, then presumably you could be trusted. The only problem is it doesn't work in in Israel where they do the same thing with the footnotes, except people can read the Hebrew. So, so all you need to do is have the curiosity to read the footnotes. But anyway, but this is a fascinating phenomenon of halacha ve'in morin So what's the concern here? So Rashi says the concern is that even Reb Yehuda only allows it if it's Iyashar lasos and me'er of yantav. If you didn't have the option of doing it from Erev Yantav. That when we come to actual food preparation itself, as we discussed earlier, that you're allowed to do even if you could have done it on Erev Yantav. But even when we're talking about Machshire Yochonefesh, the things that are preparatory, that Reb Yudah allows to be done, that would only be when you did not have an option of doing it Erev Yantav. And that would be a big problem to tell people you could do Machshire Yochonefesh on Yantav, because people will very easily slide from giving themselves latitude to do it when they didn't have an option to giving themselves the latitude to do it even when they did have an option. So that's why Rashi says we want to be careful how we share this information. Halacha the ain't morin What do you say before? Okay. before everything nice you should say for my name. Okay, so now Rava, however, you know, but notice, by the way, he didn't give him a straight answer also, right? <laughs> so maybe Rava inferred from the lack of the straight answer that there was a little bit of, like, not being completely forthcoming with this. 
Okay, so halacha ve'en mar and kain. The Amar Abai now Abai said, "Hamikamina kamei demar." I was standing in the presence of the master, which probably means Raba. The hamikamavir sakina sifsejerechaya, and he was, uh, you know, putting his sharpening his knife against the uh, the millstone. Um, the army lay, and I said to him, Are you doing it to sharpen it or to remove the shmutz? The army lay, and he said to me, I'm doing it to remove the shmutz. The chazin say, But I was able to infer that his real intent, the he was doing it to sharpen it. The chazaver, and he's of the opinion, halacha, the halacha is like Reb Yudah of Machshiri Ochel Nefesh, is allowed. The ain't Marin Cain, and you don't rule that way. Okay. So therefore, and that becomes, you know, by the way, I should say, do you remember the funny Gemara before about whether, whether you're allowed to um, uh, extinguish a fire for the sake of, uh, to give, like, privacy to a couple so they could have sex on Yontif? Remember that? And the Gemara says, are you allowed to extinguish the fire? And he says, well, go to a different room. Well, let's say you don't have a different room. Well, they, you know, put up a mechitha. Well, let's say you can't put up a mechitha. Fine, it's us, sir. And I was like, why are you giving me suggestions? Just tell me that much or us, sir. So a number of Rishonim say that that was a case, that that, that issue was a case of machshir not Ochel Nefesh, but, you know, if we include in the Ochel Nefesh category things that are like physical pleasure that's Shavu Shavu Chol Nefesh, but that's only Machshirim. That's not, you know, that's sort of to, to, to remove some problem in order to allow, you know, something that comes at a prior stage, not directly related to the actual creating of the experience itself. So therefore, and, 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 and that was following the idea of Halacha Vein Morinkane. So he didn't want to give him a straight answer. He couldn't say, I can't say it's mutter. Ain't morning case. I didn't get Try to do this, try to do that. Then when he was forced into a corner and he didn't have an option, he said, fine, you're forcing me to give an answer. I'll tell you it's also. <laughs> but anyway, but a number That's of Rishonim... But, right, but a number of Rishonim say that that actually is it technically was mutter, but he was not going to come out and say it because of halacha vein morinke. And that becomes fascinating, you know, what is the actual psak halacha of machshir elchonefes? And according to many, the psak halacha is halacha vein morinke, which is an interesting psak halacha. Okay. Exactly. Okay, but I'm rabbiist. Abai said, um, I'm sorry, we just did that. Okay, Ibailu, they asked the question. Now, can you show the knife to a, to a Chacham on Yantav? Like, sort of like showing the Bechor to a Chacham, right? Is that sort of like an Uv, Rashi says the concern is like an Uv de Bechor, because butchers, you know, even to this day, there's often, the, you know, you know, there's things like when you become, you know, a butcher shows the knife to, a, to, the, to the rabbi of the city, I mean, you don't have rabbis of cities anymore. But anyway, but, uh, that, you know, that sort of gets, it's also sort of like giving the imprimatur of the rabbi and so, uh, you know, to, to acknowledge that this person is able to shack. But anyway, an act of inspecting the knife. So the concern Rashi here said would be a similar uv de dechol. The butcher showing the knife to the rabbi is the type of thing you do when you're about to go and shack meat in a normal weekday activity. So are you allowed to do that on Yontem? Rav Mari Braid Rav Bizner Shari. He said it was permissible. Rav Bana Natsiri. And the rabbi said it was forbidden. Rav Yosef Amar, Tamit Chacham Ro'ala Atmo Mashil Lacherim. That I can check my own knife if I'm a Tamit Chacham and I know how to inspect the knife. And once I've seen that my knife is good and I've done that in private, it hasn't been some interaction with other people and in a public scenario which could lead to Uv Dedechol, I've been private inspecting my own knife. Then I could say to somebody who wants to check, here, you can borrow my knife. All right. Now, if a knife is uh, dulled, you can sharpen it on Yantiv. 
That's if it's still somewhat able to be used, that you can still cut something by putting pressure. It's just dull, it's not sharp. But if it's really not usable, that's forbidden. And there, this seems to be a distinction. If it's dull and you're sharpening it, that might just be an over the whole issue. If it actually can't cut at all, and you are now sharpening it to make it cut, that might be a real malacha of tikkun mana, of making a kli, of like makabipatish. And then that gets back to the issue of are you allowed to do, you know, you know, machshire ochel nefesh um, on yantiv or not. Well, I mean, let's read a little more. Darshav chizda, the tamer of Yosef, echad sakin shenifkama, the echad shvushenirsam, whether it's a knife that has a that has a uh, that has a, 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 a nick which is considered to be worse than just dull, or whether it's a uh, a spit that uh, the top that basically like Raji says the, the tip of it has broken off. We're sweeping out an oven. Those would be real malachas. It would really be a, making a kli, and that would be the debate of Rebut and the rabbis of Machshir Ochonavis. Now, sweetening out the oven is unclear. What tikkun kli is it? Rashi says some of the plaster fell down, and you're sort of, you know, fixing some of it inside. You're not just sweeping out the, the ashes. Okay, so what's that debate? So again, we introduce it to Tanya, it's on a brisa. Ein ben yantav l'shabas el ochonavis govad, Rebut amati af Machshir Ochonavis. My time at the Tanakama, what's the reasoning of Tanakama that you're not allowed to do things that are at a preparatory stage? Amar Kra, the verse says, It alone, things that are done, can be done. Who? Only things that are directly about food preparation, not things that are preparatory. Rabbi Yehuda Amar Kra, Rabbi Yehuda said, Amar Kra, the verse says, Lachem, Yesel Lachem, for you. Lachosar Chechem, any need. So this is part of your needs, because you need this in order to enable you to have food. The Tanakama haksi lachem. So, what does the Tanakama do with lachem? That seems to give you more latitude. For you, but not for non-Jews. Something we've seen before. And what does Rabbi Yehuda do with the fact that it says who, which is a limiting word? You're right. It says who, which is limiting, and it says lachem, which is more inclusive. The little kasha, and this is what I was saying earlier. Could you have done it before yantav or not? Now that's funny because normally that type of issue, oh, you could have done it earlier, sounds like a rabbinic concern, right? We won't let you do it if you could have done it earlier. But here he sounds like it's a real biblical issue. Machshirin that you could have done before yantav is actually biblically forbidden. But if you could not have done it before yantav, and Mashi says, what's not have done it? So it doesn't just mean the problem cropped up on Yantav. Rashi says, let's say you were just too busy on Erev Yantav. It's funny that that, though, it becomes part of what actually allows you to do a malacha on Yantav if you did not have that option. Okay, and let's just read one more line. If the spit bent, you can't use it on Yantav. So Rashi says, presumably it's usable, but not so convenient. So pshita, obviously. Obviously maybe because you could anyway use it. Even though you could straighten it with your hands, and maybe it's not a big fix, nevertheless, it's still being fixing it, and that would be a type of a thing that would be forbidden. Okay, so now we'll pick up with this tomorrow, but the question that we're left with is, 
why are we saying that these things are forbidden if we just pass them like Reb Yehuda about machshirim that Efshel Asosa Meir of Yantiv, right? Or Efshel Asosa Meir of Yantiv. Is this following the idea of, um, you know, Halacha Vein Morin Kane, that we don't want a straight out rule like Reb Yehuda? Or is it possible that even according to Reb Yehuda, who allows you to do machshirin, he might limit it and maybe really making a new vessel might be something that even he wouldn't allow. Um, and I will let you think about that and we'll pick up with this.